0: So, it's 2012. Great way to spend the uh, first day of the year in church, I think. I'm very excited to be here with you all. And uh, most of you look as though you didn't stay up too late last night, or if you did, you're faking it very well. So, and in fact, most of you were on time, too. That's a double bonus. Perhaps some of you are just fulfilling that New Year's resolution that this is going to be the year that you're punctual. Right? You always make your New Year's resolution and you follow it for about three days, right? All right. So congratulations for most of you. You seem to be doing all right on day one. So I'm very impressed with that. Today, though, we're not going to focus so much on 2012, though we're going to talk about it. But we're going to spend some time also standing in 2012, turning backwards and looking at 2011. 2011 has been an interesting year in so many ways. It's been another year of recession in the United States of America. And so in so many ways you read the news and you see mostly depressing news. People are sad, people are hurt, people are scared, the future is unknown, and perhaps it feels more unknown than it's ever felt before. There was a report that came out this year that I found very interesting, that uh, actually Pastor Lamar began to circulate around, and many of you, I believe, have seen, that a a prominent United States newspaper did a study and declared that St. Petersburg is the saddest town in America. Have you seen this? The saddest town in America. The saddest town in America. That's where we live. That's what I call a mission field. And what I call us is people who are called to that. And we're going to focus a little bit how in 2011, we responded to that call to make this place our mission field. There's a story in the Bible that we're going to use to uh, sort of set up what we're going to do today. You know, the, uh, the Israelites had been in bondage for many years in Egypt. They were slaves working long hours at almost no pay. Day after day, they went out and worked from sunup to sundown under brutal conditions, under a brutal government, until God decided that he loved these people so much he could not see them suffer anymore. So he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, which parted, and an entire nation of people walked on dry land to the other side. As if the story could be so easy from that point on, they began to wander for 40 years in the desert because of disobedience, because of infighting, because of struggle, because of sin. Forty years and what should have taken a trip of just less than a month for sure. But finally, after 40 years, the day had come When the Israelite people were ready to step into the promised land, the place that God had designed for them. And right before they do that, Moses had uh, passed and Joshua was now the leader. And Joshua gets instructions from God and passes on instructions to his people. And that's found in Joshua chapter 4, if you'd like to look there. The words will be on the screen. We'll be looking at the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 4. And we find that as they come to the Jordan River, and it's time for them to cross over to Jericho, which is the promised land, the water stops. God stops the water once again. It's as if it's a a bracket or a climax to remind them of when the Red Sea had stopped. God had taken them out by crossing them across dry land. And God is now sending them into their promised land, in dry land. Joshua chapter 4 tells the story of what they do with that dry land. When you find it in your scriptures or on your, uh, your PDA or your phone, or it's also up on the screen. Would you join me in standing as we... Oh, it's in the bulletin today too. I forgot about that. It's in the bulletin as well. Would you join me in standing as we read the word of the Lord? When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan... The Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of, the, of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. You may be seated. This story intrigues me for a few reasons. First of all, Jericho had not been conquered yet. You know the story is coming when Jericho is conquered, where the people march around the city and take a hold of the city, the promised land that God had given them, the land flowing of milk and honey. But at this point, at this point, that glorious victory hadn't happened. At this point, these were still people who had been wandering for 40 years and didn't quite get the call of God. These are people who God kept giving gifts to and gifts to and more and more gifts. And the people understood it, but only barely. But yet God kept giving and giving and giving. And this moment here... When they're just about to march up to Jericho, this moment comes where God says, take the stones and make a pile and remember how good God has been to you in the past. So that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna, some of you can see and some of you can't. We have 12 stones lined up around the altars here. And uh, these 12 stones are each going to represent something good, something exciting of the year 2011. And we're going to look back at the past and we're going to remember how it is that God has been good to us and how it is that God has uh, cleared out waters for us in order to be His missionaries in 2011. The first exciting thing that happened in 2011, now this isn't in any sort of importance level or any sort of chronological level, level, okay? So let's get that clear first of all. But this is just a remembering of what happened at Victory Church of the Nazarene in 2011. The first thing that came to mind to me was that uh, we hired two new pastors this year, one of which was me. And I tell you what, I'm happy that you guys did that. It it has been an absolute joy and blessing and means of grace in my life to be a part of this church. I've come to love you all very much. I'm thrilled, thrilled to serve alongside of you, to know you, to hear your stories, to laugh with you, to joke with you, to cry with you when you hurt, to wonder about the future when it seems unclear. I'm thrilled to death to be your pastor, and I wouldn't want to be the pastor of any other church in the entire world. You are the people that I am called to, and I love you, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And so, uh, Pastor Eric, who also has been called and could probably also say something very similar, is coming to put our first stone down. That's one exciting thing that happened in 2011. The next thing is that we handed out uh, since i 've been here, four new local ministers license and today we 're going to hand out three of them. Um, at, the board has already approved these in two thousand and eleven, so I know it 's two thousand and twelve today, but um, one of them is a college student at trevecca and is back in town and so if, if we could, um, amanda holton 's going to come and she 's going to grab the next stone. And then coming along with her is uh, Ed Jones and Kayla, uh, Kayla McMahon Smith. Amanda, Amanda, come on all the way up. All the way up. Speech, huh? We could do that, huh? Yeah, no? Okay. I did tell tell Amanda that uh, as part of her hazing, she had to give a three-minute impromptu sermon on Sunday. (laughs) She was not very excited about that idea. But uh, the church board here has unanimously elected that each of the three of these receive a local minister's license as they uh, discern what it means for them to be servants and uh, ministers in the Church of the Nazarene. And so we, your church and your church board, all who you know unanimously voted for you, hand each of you your first local minister's license, Kayla, Amanda, and Ed. And they do deserve great hands. Three minutes, yeah. You know, you know that God is doing something special. You know that God is doing special and something special in a church when he's calling out people into service. And we're excited about the way that he's doing that here. This year also we have uh, we have taken in I, I couldn't I couldn't find the exact number, but somewhere between 15 and 20 new local uh, new local uh, members to this church, varying in age from very young to very old. And so uh, we are a church of generations. That's something that we celebrate, is that we're not here just for any one age group. But if you look around today and see your church, you'll see so many different ages. And that's something that's beautiful because that's something that looks like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not for some small group, but it's for everyone. And when you look around, you see everyone represented here. And this year, we took in... Uh, in the teens an amount of new members here. And Bill Lewis is coming as one of our new members this year to bring the next rock and to put it on the pile. But when a church is taking in that many members in a church year, you see that we're reaching new people, and new people are interested in becoming a part of this fellowship. And we're thankful for new members like Bill, and there's so many others, the Stokes families, and of course the Smiths and and the Brooks, and and, and just we can go on and on and on about the amount of new members we've taken this year. And that's an exciting Exciting thing when God is uh, giving us new people to be a part of our fellowship. The next thing we did, and this is this is a shift to something that's a little more missional, something more outside of our church, and that is Heaven's Closet, which was a, a second anniversary. Uh, Ministry that we had here this year and heaven's closet. We just talked about in service recently So I won't say a lot about it But it's a place where you all have donated stuff and instead of having a yard sale where you could have profited You donated it here so that we could bless families that were in need. And we made a free yard sale so that the community could come in and get things for free to stock up on places that they were struggling and couldn't afford. The story Nicole told about the family that needed a bike and couldn't afford it particularly touched my heart. But Nicole, who led that, is coming, and she's going to grab a uh, stone. And put that on the pile as well as a remembrance of another way in 2011 that we were the church of God and that God has blessed us here. The next thing is that the, the leadership of the church has been working very hard in order to foster a relationship between the daycare and the church. We have no interests uh, not that there's ever been a strong interest, but, but there is no interest in having separate entities. The daycare is a mission of the church. It is our mission field. And we are working harder and harder and harder to make sure and foster that relationship so that the people that come in here are people that we, as this church, are called to love. And uh, many things have happened this year that have been very exciting, And, and, and I see many families as I look across here that are a part of this church now because of the daycare. And we don't have a daycare in order to make money, we don't have a daycare in order to bring in revenue, we don't have a daycare in order to use space during a week, we have a daycare in order to meet families and show them the hope and the love that can be found in Christ Jesus. And we have a a daycare director in Edie Meredith who's not here today that's working very hard in order to show even prospective parents that we are a church, and we are a church that cares about them. And we have members of our church that teach in the daycare and work in the daycare, and we're very proud of the way they minister to them. And so Cherise, my wife, who teaches the three-year-old class, is coming forward right now to grab the next rock as a reminder of the way that we are trying to foster a relationship between the daycare and the church so that the church sees that as a mission field and reaches out to show hope and love and peace and kindness and joy, both to children and their parents. The sixth rock is something that happened right before I got here, actually, but uh, it's something that I've watched unfold through the year. Right before I got here, I believe, if I understand correctly, one year ago today, there was a fire in our neighborhood of a house Uh, right on the corner of 45th Avenue, let me see if I can get this right, and I think 56th Street, right on that corner there. And that house today is now being lived in again by the family. They've been working to remodel it through the year. For those of you that cut through the back neighborhood to get to church, you'll see now that it's a very beautiful green home, very well done. But when news got to us that that house had burned down, it became immediately important that from the pulpit, It was said, we need to help a family. This is our neighborhood. And this is our neighborhood. You look in this neighborhood, draw a mile circle around here, and I believe that there's one, maybe two churches in that. God has set us here on purpose to be the church for these people. And so even though people in these houses are not members of our church, they are members of our calling and so when that house burned down, you all caught the vision that they are a part of us because they're in our neighborhood. And, and very much money was donated immediately just upon being asked in order to help that family cover any sort of hotel expenses that they would have, transitional expenses. And they really appreciated that a church would see that a house burned down that they cared about them, even though they weren't a part of the church. And that's what the church is called to be, and that is who we are called to be. Rosa, who at the time was really running the show around here as a church board secretary, is coming to, uh, to bring a stone in order to represent the way that we cared for a community household. Just want to let you know that I made her practice picking it up before I asked her to walk up the stairs. Okay.
1: Steps. Yeah, we didn't practice
0: the steps. That's right. My, my sensitivity only goes so far. Okay. <laughs> Something that's uh, just tremendously exciting that's happened very recently is the start of a small group of young adults. It's called the DOC, and it stands for Disciples of Christ, and uh, it, it's really still working on finding its traction, but, uh, but a great day happened very recently. I was very excited to be a part of it. We gathered in Pastor Eric's house just recently to have, to have our, our Christmas celebration for the young adults. And 14 people were packed into Eric's living room and kind of overflowed back around the kitchen and all this kind of stuff. 14 young adults there. They ranged in age from about 18 to 31, the group was there. They ranged in education from college degrees to uh, to fin- just finishing high school. They ranged from folks who are professional to folks who are uh, struggling to find jobs. It-, it was a diverse group and really the commonality of that day was that we were all young. But that group came together that day, and, uh, and, and Jing and, and James Ludeman, who've been bringing a lot of leadership to it, asked that people would come and celebrate Christmas by giving. And so I was overwhelmingly impressed as I saw uh, ladies in the back wrapping Christmas presents to give to families uh, who had children and were struggling. I was impressed when they asked if beyond the Christmas presents that had been received, if there could be cash donations to give to families who were struggling. And 14 young adults, none of whom are rich, none of whom have a lot of money to spare, at the drop of the hat gave over $200 to just give away. And from there, we got in vehicles and we drove to houses. And some of us met families for the first time. And some of us knew the families and were happy to go there and greet them and wish them a very Merry Christmas and demonstrate the love of Christ at Christmas. But I was overwhelmed for days, for days I couldn't get over seeing young people express their Christian faith by having a Christmas party that was all about celebrating Christ by celebrating others. Our young adult group here is a phenomenal group. And they really are opening themselves up to what God is doing in their lives. And they're opening themselves in ways that they're giving of themselves, financially, of their time, of their energy, opening themselves up by meeting new people and demonstrating the love of Christ in very tangible ways. I was very proud of them that night. But that, that ministry continues. That's just one night of many nights that they've had. And we've also gone and we visited uh, folks who are sick and folks who are... Uh, uh, who are at nursing homes? They've had worship services where they've sat around and talked theology and talked the Bible. They sing and they enjoy their time with one another. And that group is really starting to come together, both in terms of worship and service. and uh, And James is really trying to lead the charge here, but Jing is also working hard with him. And Jing's here today, so Jing, if you would come, would you come and take a rock and put it on our pile as as a celebration of a young adult group that's really emerging in? Uh, 2012. The next one is our, our fall festival, our annual fall festival. Now, uh, I've only seen one of these at this point. Okay? But I'm told this one was a pretty good one, that we had a lot of people there. We gave away hundreds of hot dogs. We gave away hundreds of uh, balloon animals. In, in In fact, Papa Sugar couldn't move his hands for three days afterwards, I hear. But it was a great and wonderful night. We had, we had people from our community that we didn't know otherwise. We had daycare families who've never stepped foot in this sanctuary for an actual service. We had people in our own church serving left, right, in every direction. It was an exciting night of service. It was an exciting night for the community. And it was an exciting night where God gave us opportunities to minister to people. And I'm so very thankful for Michelle Schaefer. She has a skill set that is very unique, and uh, she's just full of talent, and she leads that and uh, tells me what I need to do, and I appreciate that so much. And, uh, And just the way that she organizes this and the block party and makes sure that it all comes together so that we can be equipped to minister that night. Michelle is just phenomenal. And so Michelle is going to come and take, take one of these stones and put it on our pile as a remembrance of, of a great block party and a great festival from this year where we were able to minister to our community and our mission field. The next one I want to talk about is Stewardship. Now, in a recession, in a time of difficult economy, and there's no doubt the economy is difficult and that money is hard to come by right now, there's less money floating around than there has been since the Great Depression when I read the news. And so I know many families in our church are hurting. I know many people are hurting financially. I know that the costs are rising and income is lowering. It's a difficult time. And in spite of that, in spite of those difficulties that we've had, there are some moments of stewardship in this church that just absolutely deserve to be highlighted. And so it's not all bleak. It's not all bad in a recession. I think of, I think of some things that happened this year that get me really excited. We need to pay uh, airfare for a young man that Lamar has been mentoring and working with in order to get him to uh, to Southern Nazarene University so that he could play football there. And on a Wednesday night, we kind of ran through the church, and people pulled out money and donated in order to get him a plane ticket so that he could get out to Southern Nazarene University. Uh, I know that uh, in a year where two, two separate pastors were paid for to move here, one from Cincinnati and one from Nashville, that donations were made in order to cover the costs of that happening so we didn't just need to find it in our budget. Just a few weeks ago, we raised money in order to help pay for scholarships for our kids who've gone to Trevecca, because if you, if you pay $250 for a child, Trevecca gives that two times more over, and it turns into $750, which is a big deal when you're a college student. Uh, just within the last week or two, we've had folks uh, give donation in order to pay for new tires for our bus. And pay for the air conditioning to be fixed in it, so that it 's not so miserable in the summer we have uh, We have added online giving this year, and you know that there 's a computer back in the uh, back in the hallway here where you can put in your your debit card information, and you can pay that way if you don 't have cash and you want to donate towards a cause or you want to pay your tithe. We also have ways on our website now where you can pay for your tithe recurringly to just come out of your Uh, out of your bank account so that you don't have to worry about bringing checks to church because we know that checks are harder and harder to come by and harder and harder to find, that that's becoming more of a way of the past of spending money. And so we want to make it easier and easier for people to donate when God is calling them to give. There have been some good things this year. And while we have not reached our budget, in fact, there have been a few weeks that we have reached our budget in giving we have found when we sit around and talk about finances that our needs have been covered our needs have been covered surely we've needed more money we would have liked more money that would allow that would allow bob and ann to sleep at night which would be a good thing but but the thing about it is the power's never been shut off our budgets that we pay to the church in order to help missions around the world has never not been paid The bank hasn't come knocking on our door asking us for our mortgage. God has supplied our needs even in the midst of a recession. And so, while it's easy, I think, for a pastor to jump around and run and scream and ask for more money, I say to you, more money is nice. But what's far more exciting than that is when God acts. And He covers your needs. Sometimes... Sometimes things are difficult, both in your personal finances and church finances and business finances. But when God appears and He covers needs when things look impossible, those are exciting days of faith. And we've had those exciting days of faith when we look at our balance sheet. Here, God is acting, and He's making making small ties and small offerings seems like two loaves of bread and five fishes. We're making it. We're surviving. Our bills are taken care of. And God has done amazing things with your faithfulness. And at just the right time, over and over and over, someone calls in and says, it seems you have a need, and I would like to cover that need. And needs are being met. God has been good to us in the midst of the worst economy since the Great Depression. God has been good to us. And so Bob, who's been working so close with the finances, is going to come, and he's going to put another stone, a stone of faith, up here, a stone that says, in a world that doesn't have as much money as it used to, God is still caring for us. God knows our needs here at Victory Church of the Nazarene, and God has covered them for us in 2011, and we anticipate that God will continue to care for us in the year to come. The next one is the teen mission trip which was very exciting to see. It was here in St. Petersburg this year. And it was exciting to see the way teens came here, both from our church and churches all over. And they went and they painted Nazarene churches in our county that are struggling. They painted the Kenneth City Hall over here. They came and they, 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 they took care of the city. They went downtown and served... Uh, hot dogs, and sausages to homeless folks. And even though we almost got arrested that day for doing that, (laughs) it was still pretty great. It was great to see young people who took time off of work, who found money in their family's budget in order to serve for an entire week. They took out their summertime, think about this, their summertime, video games and baseball, uh, playing outside, shooting hoops, reading books, if... Do you guys read books anymore as teenagers? I don't know. Yeah, a few of you do. Okay, good. These things that could have all been about them and, and enjoying their time, they gave up in a week in order to just serve, in order to just love. And so, um, so for this one, as a celebration of teenagers who, who give of themselves and don't just ask to receive, if we could have a couple of the teens who went on that trip come forward and help me with a rock. Yeah, Lauren Bugner, you're a good choice. Yeah. Anyone, Anyone? your choice. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> You know, God is at work when He's calling people to serve, and it's exciting to see even young people hearing that call. And it's a reminder, too, I think. I think the teens are leading the way in this church as a reminder that service is not solely for pastors. Service is the very essence of Christianity And the teens lead our way in reminding us of that. And so we should be very proud of our teen group. There are a great bunch, a wonderful bunch of people who understand that God's call is a call outside of ourselves and to others. The 11th 11th rock this year is for Celebrate Recovery, which just recently celebrated their fourth anniversary in this church. Isn't that exciting? Fourth anniversary. Now, Bruce isn't here today, but Bruce, Frank is coming uh, in order to take this rock up here. Bruce has been told by Salvation Army that they are finding that the people who come through the Salvation Army uh, program have some success of overcoming addiction. But they are overwhelmed by how much more successful folks who come through Salvation Army and Victory Church of the Nazarene Celebrate Recovery are coming to recovery. And so our our Celebrate Recovery is making a tangible and statistical difference in people's lives. This program is actually teaching and leading people to sobriety. They're not just going through the 12 steps, they're not just hearing about Jesus, but Jesus is coming and transforming their lives so that they're no longer in addiction or in hurt. They no longer struggle, well, they continue to struggle, but they're no longer caught up in their hurts, their habits, and hang-ups. God is transforming lives through the ministry of Victory Church of the Nazarene, and God is transforming lives through Celebrate Recovery, which is a wonderful ministry of Victory Church of the Nazarene. And yet another exciting thing that God is doing amongst us. In fact, one, one time that I was at Celebrate Recovery this year, I, I saw someone receive a chip for, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, 26 years of sobriety. 26 years. Every week, someone steps forward and takes the 30 or the 60 or the 90 days Bill, Bat- Bill Tattersall likes to say when he's handing out the chips, and, and this always cracks me up because I just imagine that it's so right. He says, "'Who's here to get the 30-day chip 30 days and a thousand nights?' And when those people stand and they come and and our folks gather around and hug them and congratulate them and tell them they keep doing it, it, it's a moment of hope that happens in this church that just charges your heart and reignites your fire that God makes difference in people's lives. Number 12, and this is our last stone, people in our church have come closer to God. That is in so many ways the goals of the church. We are a place of discipleship. Jesus didn't call people to ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. That is not the destination. That is not the destination. Certainly, sin is a problem. Sin ruins lives. But the destination is to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Realizing that we have sin and that God can destroy our sin and lead us into holiness is the start. We are to become disciples Disciples of Jesus Christ, stepping foot by foot in the steps that Jesus has taken in this life, looking increasingly like Jesus more and more every day. And when you look around this church and you see people, you see lives that are transformed. The way that we are, the way that we are becoming, the work that God is doing in us is not something that any of us have willed ourselves towards. But when you see holiness on the lives of people's faces, you remember that God is working in them. Holiness, holiness, sinlessness, these are things that only God can do for us. And so people here, we are giving our lives to Jesus and asking him to do something beautiful with us because we've tried really hard on our own to be good people. And it just doesn't quite live up, does it? but when the Spirit descends upon us, when God calls our name and we follow the steps of Jesus and become like Him. Remember, that word Christian isn't just a word, isn't just a term. It means like Christ. And so when we take on that term and we boldly say to this world, I am Christian, we are saying, it is through Jesus that I am being made to be just like Him. That word Christian is a loaded term become easy to throw around in the world today. Sixty percent of America claims that they're Christian. It's an easy thing to say because my grandma went to church. I most closely identify with Christianity. But it's a difficult thing to say, I am Christian. Because you're saying I'm like Christ. And it's only through the power of God that breaks into churches like ours into people's lives and transforms lives, that we can truly be Christian people. And God is doing that amongst us. If you look around, I love to look around at the faces. I get to do it every week, but take a moment and look around and think of the stories you know of the people here. Do it. You're all looking at me. Stop looking at me. Look at each other. Look, you know the stories of one another. God is transforming lives in this place. And for some of you, 2011 has been the best year of your life that God has transformed you and turned you more and more and more to look just like him. But we end our 12 stones there very intentionally and say, man, 2011 was a good year. And and we may leave these stones up for a little while. So just like Joshua, when someone asks you, well, what in the world are the stones doing on the stage? Joshua says, when someone asks that question, you tell them how good God has been to us. God has been good in 2011. I saw yesterday, CNN.com asked a... Ask the poll. Ask the question this. What do you think? These were the answers. Uh, I'm sad to see 2011 go. Good riddance. Or, I'm going to kind of miss 2011. Those were the two options. And 85% of people said good riddance to 2011. 85% of people said good riddance to 2011. That's a world that's hurting. That's a world that's hurting. That's a world that is desperately seeking hope um, above anything else. And look at us at Victory Church in the Nazarene. Our year has been pretty good. God has been good to us. E- even, even in times that there's been struggles and difficulties and bad things. And I mean, we could name those today as well. But in the midst of the difficulties of 2011, in a world where 85% of Americans want to say goodbye to 2011 and are desperate for 2012 to be better, God has been here. God has been amongst us. But 2012 still can be better. It can be. And I'm open, and I'm. I've been praying for weeks now for 2012 that God does something huge amongst us. And every time I pray for 2012, I hear as as clear as day God say that it's going to be a huge year at Victory Church of the Nazarene. It's going to be a huge year, an exciting year. And so there are a couple things that I, I would just like to challenge you individually and corporately, and then we'll end with this, okay? This is the challenge for 2012. One, I challenge you, and I'm going to make resources available to help you here. I challenge you to start reading the Bible again. Some of you may think to me, what are you talking about? Of course we read the Bible. But let's be honest, we, we do not read the Bible like we should. We do not know the stories like we should. We do not read it for all that it's worth. We do not read it in context. We go back and we pick out the stories that we already know and read those over and over and over again because they're comforting. Pick up the Bible and read it. Read a book at a time. If you look at, uh, let's say, the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was not written with the intention that you read chapter 10 today and chapter 13 tomorrow and chapter 2 the next day. The Gospel of Mark was written as a flowing letter to tell an entire story. And when you begin to read the Bible the way it was intended to be read, it blows your mind. It's exciting. It's filled with intrigue. And it's filled with hope. And it's filled with places and times that God showed up in despair and made something beautiful out of it. Read the Bible in 2012. Could we commit together to again begin to read our Bible? All right, I see like seven heads nodding. That's kind of exciting, okay? Let's read the Bible in 2012. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we have bought the lie that the Bible is boring and hard to understand. We've bought it, and it's become an excuse. The Bible is not boring. There is a story of a donkey talking to a man in it. Okay? I I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? If 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 you like some of those trashy Danielle Steele novels, read Song of Solomon, okay? All right? If you, like, if you like movies filled with action and violence and sensuality, read First and 2 Samuel, okay? They don't make that into a movie because it would be rated NC-17 in the theaters, okay? All right? I, I'm just saying... But in the midst of these stories of of people sinning and doing awful things and killing each other and violence and, and rape and incest, God keeps showing up in the most broken of circumstances, the most difficult of places, and God has the final word in each of these stories. Lives are transformed, nations are transformed, and the Spirit descends over and over in the worst places. Read the Bible. And and I'm just telling you, if David can be a man after God's own heart, if David, you know that guy who called Bathsheba over, the one who women sang killed tens of thousands of people, okay, the one who did a census that God explicitly told him not to do, if David can be a man after God's own heart, you can be a person after God's own heart too. Read the stories. The stories are exciting, and you find something new every time you look at them. Second thing I want to do in 2012 is this, is be a praying church. Let's be a praying church. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking, absolutely not talking about you're at a stoplight on like, you know what's the worst stoplight ever is when you're going on 46th Avenue and you hit 49th Street. Man, you have like seven minutes there. I get out of my car and I talk to the person driving behind me. Sometimes, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. And and when I say let's be a people of prayer, I'm not saying take those moments. Well, I guess I can just pray for here for a moment. But be intentional. Be intentional. The best responses that we had to our prayer service that we had on a Sunday morning recently, I think, is when folks responded by saying, "I "I learned to pray for things beyond my perspective." Not not just the concerns that I have or my friends who are ill or the fact that I'm really in a bind and can use $200. But when we learn to pray for a world, when we learn to pray for unsaved people, when we learn to pray for, get this, because Jesus tells us to do this, when we learn to pray for our enemies, God forms us and he changes the world through that. He changes churches through that. God's Spirit pours out amongst a praying people. I'm in a conversation right now with a few people about becoming prayer leaders around our church. Prayer leaders. So that we have times during the day and the evening of intentional prayer where we learn to pray together for one another, for our church, for our community, for others. We need to become a church of prayer, not just a church that prays, God knows even sinners pray. But let's become a church of prayer in 2012. And then finally, this is my last challenge, that we become a church that's externally focused. Externally focused. The more you read the Bible, the more you see that the story of God is not about you, but you are a part of the story of God. You see the difference there? The story of God, Jesus didn't die on the cross for you and you and you and you. Jesus died on the cross so that the world and all humanity can be reconciled to God. And so when you get caught up in that story, when, when you get caught up in the fact that Christ came to die to save this world, it increasingly becomes less about you and more about us. And by us, I mean like a Samaritan who would stop and help a dead Jew on the side of the road. Loving others, caring for others. When God comes to you and saves you, That should turn you inside out. He has done all I need for me. Let's find other people that need that joy, hope, peace, and love that Jesus has given me. And let me tell them about it. But let me not just tell them about it. Let me demonstrate it. Let me be a part of this community. Let me be a part of my neighbor's life. Let me be a part of my enemy's life. People need Jesus People need Jesus, and if you got him, quit hoarding him. If you've got him, give him away. Let's become a church that prays, a church that reads our scriptures, but only does those things, only does those things, so that we can go outside of ourselves, knowing that God has great plans to call our name when our time ends. And resurrect us into rest. But in this meantime, as we're still drawing breath in this earth, let us be externally focused, concerned about those lost and broken in sin, hurting and struggling, angry at God, confused about God, and in need of God. Let's make them the priority of Victory Church of the Nazarene in 2012. That's not to say that we're not here for you. You go to the hospital, we're here to take care of you. You struggle with finances, and we'll work out a way to make things happen for you. That's a part of being in the church. We will always be here to build each other up. But the beauty of the church is it can become less about me because when it's my turn to hurt, you have hundreds of people around you ready to lift you up. Let's make this Christianity thing about what Jesus called it to be not just about me, but about us, and increasing every day who us is. There's room amongst us for lost and broken and hurting people, and that's the way Jesus has called us to be. Would you join me in standing as we say a closing prayer? I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Lamar to come up and pray. Lamar, I I know I'm surprising you here, but would you pray a prayer blessing upon our church for 2012, that we see a vision that God has given us?
1: God, I thank you again for how good you've been to us. God, I thank you for the blessings that you have poured out on our lives that we don't deserve, but God, you freely have given those. God, I thank you for this church and a place that you have called us to, and I thank you for the family of God that meets here in the community of believers that are here. God, I pray that, that 2011, that those things that you have done and these stones, that those things that that represent, that God, you will continue to, uh, to move. And God, we know that your work is not done here. You're not a God that wants to just stop now. But God, I pray that we continue to want to be involved in what you're doing and the kingdom business that you have going on in this community, in this city, God. And so God, I pray that, that the love that you have poured out on us, that we would share that with others. God, even... Even this morning, we we kind of renew our covenant with you, and we say, God, we belong to you. You will be our God, and we will be your people. We will be your servants, Lord, because you're worthy not just of of a small amount of time that we have here on Sunday mornings, but, God, you are worthy of our lives. And so, God, I pray pray that you give us passion. I pray that you give us purpose for you to serve you, to love your people, Lord. God, would you go with us from this place? Would we be people who don't just hear the word, but we obey you? And we do what you say. We praise the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace and make a difference.